Good morning to you. 621 uh, here on News Talk 1010 and uh, pleased to be joined by Scott Reed for the uh, morning brief. Scott, good morning. Good morning, John. Now, you follow pop culture. I hear you talking all the time about pop culture, which I don't really follow. That's because you're younger and, you know, much more alive. But having said that, uh, you um, probably, I don't know if you heard me saying earlier on, when I had to focus on the fact that Joni Mitchell, who I, of course, do know of, is 80 years old and came back from a brain aneurysm, came back not just in the sense that she's here and with us, but she is outperforming and won a Grammy. I mean, this is... A pretty extraordinary, uh, you know, pretty extraordinary achievement and pretty extraordinary courage. Let's just have a little listen to what she did last night in both performing and winning at the Grammys. I don't know if you agree, uh, Scott, with me, but it sounds a little bit, because I had the privilege of going to see Gordon Lightfoot at that anniversary concert he had just before he passed away, maybe a year before. And, you know, the songs were still there and it sounded fantastic. And the fact that he could get up and do it as she did last night is amazing. But, you know, you can see a little bit of the signs of perhaps both her illness and her age. But how inspiring was that? Yeah, you know, listen, I'm not one of those guys that watches award shows and says, oh, my God, when Tom Hanks stood up and gave that speech, didn't it move you? But I'm a big Joni Mitchell fan. And as you say, she had to teach herself to speak again. I I thought it was an extraordinary moment in the response of the crowd and the admiration that they threw at her. I just I, I really thought it was I mean, it was great to see Celine Dion and all that she's coping with. But my God, I thought that that, that Joni Mitchell moment i think is one of those big grammy moments that'll get you know replayed and remembered for in decades to come it was i thought it was really something else and i i mean there just is no finer songwriter and you're talking to a died in the wool bob dylan fan which by the way is evidence as you say that i'm a bouncy young person obviously but i uh <laughs> that's right i just think she's the greatest yeah and, and you know celine dion's illness i mean and these are all good things from the standpoint of awareness and so on it's become much better known that she has this kind of fairly rare illness i think uh, Joni Mitchell's illness uh, was not as well known and so I think the recovery from it as you say literally having been taught to speak again and to, to, to obviously to sing as well is something that is uh, quite extraordinary. Well yeah. to more mundane matters uh, Scott we've got uh, well, I, I want to talk to you about this one just because I I just roll my eyes at some of this stuff but there are people out there arguing that those who are paid a salary uh, for you know one assumes a certain number of work days you know minus the statutory holidays and so on are perhaps being uh, had, had their wages stolen stolen from them in this year, a leap year, when there is the extra day, February the 29th, which falls on a day a lot of people will work. Um, do, do you buy into this argument or do you think that it is actually just one of these things where, you know, suck it up, folks, and we have a leap year once every four years. And yes, you work that day, but that's the way it is. I worry that I'm on the side of big calendar. I, I didn't think about this. It never occurred to me. No, that did I. 365.25 right? Like that's how long yeah. it takes or is it 364.25, whatever the hell it is. Anyway, I always wonder like, why do we have to have a, a leap year anyway? Why, why, what's with the leap day? And so I guess, you know, that's the explanation. Uh, it feels kind of clumsy. I think we could go back and fix the calendar, but I, I don't know, like you get a salaried position. Are you really thinking to yourself, I get jobbed every four years. I, I, it, it, 
it feels frivolous to me. I was reading in the thing that they said something like, you know, the corporate haul on this is $2 billion or something. I, I, I don't know. It never would have occurred to me. I, I feel like we're, uh, we're, we're splitting hairs. We're splitting sundials. That's kind of, yeah, exactly. That's kind of the way I felt. I'd never thought of it for a second. And maybe that would make me insensitive. I don't really know. Kind of a related story, which has to do with the work week. Uh, 41 companies uh, tried out a four-day work week. And all 41, apparently, that agreed to try this out have made it permanent. And I'll, I'll only contrast that with uh, repeated discussions I hear, and you circulate as I do with a lot of business people. And you know, m- one might say, well, that's just typical of them being insensitive and only focus on the bottom line and so on. But they're mostly concerned about our productivity and the fact that our productivity, if you measure it in terms of the, the output that we have per hour worked, has been dropping steadily, uh, almost alone among you know, prosperous Western countries. And you can't keep your standard of living if your productivity keeps dropping. But uh, do you think this is something that's just coming our way, um, you know, perhaps fueled by the pandemic and people starting to stay home and that it'll become the fact that people just work four days a week, whether at home or in the office? Yeah, I think a couple things. And I mean, boy, am I going to get boring here? I don't think, yes, I do think that this actually will contribute to a higher degree of productivity for the simple reason that I don't know if anybody else in the world is like me, but once I get into the groove, I'm in the groove. And so interrupting the groove at the eight hour mark and then having to re, you know, start the clock, uh, it just seems to me that you're going to get a couple of extra higher value hours out of folks. Um, Now, maybe that sounds like everyone's a rat on a wheel, but I think it is going to improve productivity. I don't think that this is going to become ubiquitous insofar as I don't think there's going to be such a thing as ubiquitous anymore. I don't, I think, I think the structured work week is something that's kind of slipping away from us. I think it will become more prevalent for a bunch of reasons. And I think it works better for people. Like I can remember, this is a completely sort of apples and oranges comparison, but I remember when I was a kid growing up and, you know, Guys that worked on the railway, uh, folks who worked at Hydro, they'd have these, you know, work four days, put in a 12 or 16 hour day, and then you'd have four or five days off. And how much they liked that and how much that gave them freedom and flexibility to do other things in their lives. So I think this is something that where possible, it works for both employer and employee. And for that reason, I think we will see more of it. I think your main point is very well taken, which is what we're going to see is no standard. There is no standard that says which days you work. I mean, you put in the hours you need to put in to get your job done and that people are going to be incredibly flexible and employers are going to be flexible as long as they're doing well and as long as they can be productive. But we'll, it remains to be seen. So uh, we have uh, a story out in the Toronto Star that says that, um, in fact, it reaches the conclusion that people with non-urgent problems are not sort of the real reason why we have problems in our emergency rooms. And they say, a staff shortage uh, and that that just means there aren't enough people to deal with those who are there and who properly belong there because they're ill in some way, shape or form and the difficulty in getting an appointment with a family doctor. But it's not sort of people's fault that there is this hallway medicine, which for sure is going on. Uh, Do you tend to think that's correct, that the system is at fault, not people showing up with minor ailments that shouldn't be showing up at the hospital? I do, and I'm really glad to see this data because you you kind of hear this get rooted into just you know common acceptance. Um, you know, people kind of repeat it. Oh yeah, well now you know everybody's hauling their kid in for a runny nose. Well, I, I'm glad to see it. That struck me as BS, to be honest, and I'm glad to see that the data suggests that that's the case. I think that's you know, folks in some ways trying to, you know, shift blame and make excuses. And look, I, I've talked about this recently on the radio too. I, I think one of the like very crude measuring sticks, sticks of whether or not we have a healthy 
system of healthcare is whether people have access to a family doctor. And when they don't have access to a family doctor, I think that people feel vulnerable. I think people feel like, you know what, whatever you tell me statistically, I'm telling you I don't have access to a family doctor. And that means the system ain't working right. Like that's just, there's some basic bargain that's being broken there. And the absence of MDs, I think really does drive uh, a lot of the pressure on our emergency departments and emergency rooms. And so I think I think these issues are more broadly systemic. I don't think it has a lot to do with, you know, people with running noses plugging things. And I do really, really worry about, you know, 79-year-old Aunt Gladys who says, oh, well, I don't want to be a fuss. I don't want to go into the emergency room and, 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 and tie somebody's time up. And then she dies in the middle of the night from emphysema, you know, and that, that yeah. happens. Yeah. And, you know, technology can help with some of those kinds of people. But I can tell you, I spent a, a couple of hours going to visit a friend who was kind of on a stretcher waiting in the emergency room not long ago. And I sat and listened to all the people registering. And as they were registering, I would say literally 90 percent of them said, yes, they did have a family doctor. The problem is if they had uh, to seek an appointment to get care for whatever it was that was ailing them, because they were all walking up to the counter themselves and sitting down, they couldn't get an appointment for weeks and weeks. So that's why they end up in the emergency room. It's not even so much that they don't have a family doctor. They do, but they just can't have access to them. You use that word access, which is probably the best word. Anyway, we got to go. Nice to talk to you as always. And these are the problems we'll continue to talk about as we go forward. But I thank you very much for being part of the Morning Brief, Scott Reed. Sounds great. We'll see you tomorrow, John. Scott Reed, CTV political analyst and former advisor to uh, Prime Minister Paul Martin, who uh, really was one of the more decent people. Honest to God, I mean, he, he, I was a partisan back then, not a liberal, but I can tell you he's just such a decent man and, and uh, this is kind of an unsung uh, hero of our country, especially when it comes to things involving our Indigenous people.